Section 30 of Rudder Grange. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rudder Grange by Frank R. Stockton. Chapter 15. In which two new friends disport themselves. Part 2. Well, on the morning of the next day I went into the little front room that they called the office to see if there was a letter for us yet, and there wasn't nobody there to ask. But I saw a pile of letters under a weight on the table, and I just looked at these to see if one of them was for us, and if there wasn't the very letter Joan had written to the doctor. They'd never sent it. I rushes back to Joan and tells him, and he just sat and looked at me without saying a word. I didn't wonder he couldn't speak. "'I'll go and let them people know what I think of them, says I. "'Don't do that,' said Joan, catching me by the sleeve. "'It won't do no good. "'Leave the letter there and don't say nothing about it. "'We'll stay here till afternoon, quite quiet, and then we'll go away. "'That garden wall isn't high enough.' "'And how about the trunk?' says I. "'Oh, we'll take a few things in our pockets and lock up the trunk "'and ask the doctor to send for it when we get to the city.' "'All right,' says I, and we went to work to get ready to leave.' About five o'clock in the afternoon, when it was a nice time to take a walk under the trees, we meandered quietly down to a corner of the back wall, where Joan thought it would be rather convenient to get over. He hunted up a short piece of board, which he leaned up again the wall, and then he put his foot on the top of that and got a hold of the top of the wall and climbed up, as easy as nothing. Then he reached down to help me step onto the board. But just as he was a-going to take me by the hand, "'Hello,' says he, "'look a-there,' and I turned round and looked, and if there wasn't Mrs. Andrew Jackson and General Tom Thumb a-walkin' down the path. "'What shall we do?' says I. "'Come along,' says he. "'We ain't a-goin' to stop for them. Get up all the same.' I tried to get up, as he said, but it wasn't so easy for me on account of my not bein' such a high stepper as Joan, and I was a good while gettin' a good footin' on the board. Mrs. Jackson and the General, they came right up to us and sat down on a bench which was fastened between two trees near the wall.' and there they sat, a-lookin' steady at us with their little four eyes like four empty thimbles. "'You appear to be goin' away,' said Mrs. Jackson. "'Yes,' says Joan, from the top of the wall. "'We're a-goin' to take a slight stroll outside, this salubrious evenin'. "'Do you think,' says she, "'that the United States Bank would be open this time of day?' "'Oh, no,' says Joan. "'The banks all close at three o'clock. "'It's a good deal after that now.' "'But if I told the officers who I was, "'wouldn't that make a difference?' says she." "'Wouldn't they go down and open the bank?' "'Not much,' says Joan, giving a pull, which brought me right up to the top of the wall and almost clean down the other side, with one jerk. "'I never know no officers that would do that. "'But,' says he, kind of shutting his eyes so that she couldn't see he was lying, "'we'll talk about that when we come back. "'If you see that little team of oxen,' says the man, "'send them round to the front gate.' "'All right,' says Joan, and he let me down the outside of the wall as if I had been a bag of horse-feed.' "'But if the bank isn't open, you can't pay for it when it does come,' we heard the old lady a-saying as we hurried off. "'We didn't lose no time going down to that station, and it's lucky we didn't, for a train for the city was coming just as we got there, and we jumped aboard without having no time to buy tickets. There wasn't many people in our car, and we got a seat together.' "'Now then,' says Joan, as the cars went to buzzing along, "'I feel as if I was really on a bridal trip, which I must say I didn't at that there asylum.' and then I said, I should think not, and we both just bust out a laughin', as well we might, feelin' such a change of surroundings. 
"'Do you think,' says somebody behind us, when we'd got through laughing, "'that if I was to send a boy up to the cashier he would either come down or send me the key of the bank?' We both turned around as quick as lightning, and if there wasn't them two lunatics in the seat behind us. It nearly took our breaths away to see them settin' there, staring at us with their thimble eyes, and a-wearin' their little straw hats, both alike. "'How on the livin' earth did you two get here?' says I, as soon as I could speak. "'Oh, we came by the same way you came, by the temporary stairs,' says Mrs. Jackson. "'We thought, if it was too late to draw any money to-night, it might be well to be on hand, bright and early in the morning.' And so we followed you two as close as we could, because we knew you could take us right to the very bank doors, and we didn't know the way ourselves, not never having had no occasion to attend to nothing of this kind before. Joan and I looked at each other, but we didn't speak for a minute. Then, said I, here's a pretty kettle of fish. I should kind of say so, says Joan. We've got these two here lunatics on our hands, sure enough, for there ain't no train back to Pocus to-night, and I wouldn't go back with them if there was. We must keep an eye on em till we can see the doctor to-morrow. I suppose we must, said I, but this don't seem as much like a bridal trip as it did a while ago. You're right there, says Joan. When the conductor came along we had to pay the fare of them two lunatics beside our own, for neither of em had a cent about em. When we got to town we went to a smallish hotel near the ferry, where Joan knowed the man who kept it, who wouldn't bother about none of us having a scrap of baggage, knowing he'd get his money all the same out of either Joan or his father. The general and his sister looked a kind of funny in their little straw hats and green carpet slippers, and the clerk didn't know whether he hadn't forgot how to read writin' when the big man put down the names of General Tom Thumb and Mrs. Ex-President Andrew Jackson, which he was an ex-president anyway, being dead, but Joan, he whispered that they was travelin' under Nommies des Plumies, I told him to say that, and he would fix it all right in the morning. And when we got some supper, which it took them two lunatics a long time to eat, for they was all the time forgettin' what particular kind of business they was about, and then we was showed to our rooms. They had the two rooms right across the hall from ours. We hadn't been inside our room five minutes before Mrs. General Jackson come a-knockin' at the door. "'Look a-here,' she says to me. "'There's an unforeseen contingency in my room, and it smells.' So I went right in, and sure enough it did smell, for she had turned on all the gases, besides the one that was lighted. "'What did you do that for?' I says, a-turnin' them off as fast as I could. "'I'd like to know what they're made for,' she says, if they isn't to be turned on. When I told Joan about this, he looked real serious, and just then a waiter came upstairs and went into the big man's room. In a minute he come out and says to Joan and me, a-grinnin', "'We can't suit him no better in this house.' "'What does he want?' asked Joan. "'Why, he wants a smaller bed,' says the waiter. "'He says he can't sleep in a bed as big as that, "'and we have it none smaller in this house, "'which he couldn't get into if we had, in my opinion,' says he. "'All right,' says Joan. "'Just you go downstairs, and I'll fix him.' "'So the man goes off, still a-grinnin'. "'I tell you what it is,' says Joan. "'It won't do to let them two lunatics have rooms to themselves. "'They'll set this house afire or turn it upside down "'in the middle of the night, if they has.' "'There's nothing to be done but for you to sleep with the woman "'and for me to sleep with the man "'and to keep em from cutting up till morning. "'So Joan, he went into the room "'where General Tom Thumb was a-settin' with his hat on, "'a-lookin' doleful at the bed, and says he, "'What's the matter with the bed?' "'Oh, it's too large entirely,' says the General. "'It wouldn't do for me to sleep in a bed like that. "'It would ruin my character as a genuine thumb.' "'Well,' says Joan, 
It's nearly two times too big for you, but if you and me was both to sleep in it, it would be about right, wouldn't it? Oh, yes, says the general, and he takes off his hat, and Joan says good night to me and shuts the door. Our room was better than Mrs. General Jackson's, so I takes her in there, and the first thing she does is to turn on all the gases. Stop that, I hollers. If you do that again, I'll, I'll break the United States Bank tomorrow. How'll you do that, says she. I'll draw out all my capital, says I. I really hope you won't, says she, till I've been there, and she leans out of the open winder to look into the street. But while she was a looking out, I see her left hand a creepin' up to the gas by the winder that wasn't lighted. I felt mad enough to take her by the feet and pitch her out, as you and the boarder, said Pomona, turning to me, hoisted me out of the canal boat winder. This, by the way, was the first intimation we had that Pomona knew how she came to fall out of that window. But I didn't do it, she continued, for there wasn't no soft water underneath for her to fall into. After we went to bed, I kept awake for a long time, being afraid she'd get up in the night and turn on all the gases and smother me alive. But I fell asleep at last, and when I woke up early in the morning, the first thing I did was to feel for that lunatic. But she was gone. End of section 30